0: We're here live, well it was live when we recorded this, in Sacramento, the Old Norse Yule Gathering. Before we do anything, the person that starts every single episode has to start it again. First of all, did you bring your tarot cards? I
1: did bring my tarot cards, yes. They're in my backpack.
0: Okay, so, while she goes gets that, let me introduce myself. You guys know who I am. If you don't, hi, I'm Henry San Miguel. With me is...
1: Wednesday Darkling.
0: And before you go and digging into your backpack, you are.
1: I am Raven Hawthorne.
0: Yeah, we're all the entire team is here. Don't you feel the energy going through your earbuds? Through your, if you do that, you might want to clean. It might not be the energy. So while you get your tarot cards, and we'll we'll, we'll do all of that. Um, what do you think so far?
1: Um, it's pretty awesome here. There are people dressed up in costumes. There are like some really cool wares to purchase. The music's pretty awesome.
0: Uh, see, it's starting to hit me now. I wish we were doing Smell-O-Vision. I can start smelling. I'm starting to smell the food. Not that one next to it. That's just like snacks, but like real food.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be really rad tonight when we get to have the tri-tip dinner and mead.
0: Yeah. I'm, I don't know if they come in pints, but if they do, I got it. Because I've never had mead. We talked about it in one of the episodes. We've never had it. So if I really, really like it, I'm going to have to do like Thor, throw on the ground. Another. Yes. And see how many we can get So here we go, Paranormal Perception. You guys are going to hear for the rest of the... I I will say for the rest of the month, you'll probably get a lot of interviews that we're going to record here. We're going to talk to some of the guests. You can probably hear the music behind this. Where's the cameras? The cameras are there. You'll be able to see us on vimeo.com slash Paranormal Perception. And I think you're there, but in case you somehow found us or you're in somebody's car, somebody's room, somebody's life, and you're like, they're listening to this cool paranormal podcast, this is where you can find it Thegeekspeakshow.com Slash, a lot of slashing Paranormal Perception Everything is on there Follow us on social media Where are we on that? We are uh, Paranormal Perception That's easy to remember On Instagram On Twitter At Para Percept show. They wouldn't let me do the whole thing So I got to get clever with it, Para it Percept show. I think it's clever You may, you may not But that's where you find it So let's get ready uh, who should we talk to first?
1: Uh, why don't we talk to uh, Michael Gorman? He gave a really interesting talk today.
0: Yeah, I could only like half hear it, so let's put him in our microphone so all of you who aren't here can hear what he has to talk about. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, so, uh, well, we're gonna go in like like a movie in reverse order. When okay. you're hearing this, we're gonna go in a time machine. We're gonna go back in time, and what you what the thing, the first thing you heard in the episode was actually recorded right after this. See? Messing with your mind already. We're in your mind. Mind blown. We will be right back. Paranormal perception is a full-bodied apparition summoned by 22 Creations Multimedia NLC. Look at, at the, the unseen, unseen world, world around us—a world of shadows, unheard whispers. I see you, restless soul. We'll explore these topics and more, not for answers. It is called The Unknown for a reason.
1: Come and find me. By the
0: end of this episode, you'll have a new perception on the paranormal.
1: I'm watching you.
0: Paranormal Perception with Henry San Miguel, Wednesday Darkling, and Raven Hawthorne. All right, so we promised you Michael R. Gorman, and here he is. Michael, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing good. I'm I'm really enjoying this event. It's it's pretty yeah, awesome. And, and by
0: the way, you listening? If you're thinking who's listening in the back, you're not hearing things. We have we've got some uh, a soundtrack to go with with this uh, with this interview. So enjoy the music. So, um, it, we, we you you were the first speaker actually here yeah, at the uh, yeah. Old Norse, and uh, we were right next to the stage as we recorded this, so it's loud. So we could we, we we tried to listen in, but we really couldn't hear you too well. So it's not like we don't have a show where you can come on and talk to us about it. <laughs> now, I'm not saying do the entire speech all over again, but first of all, tell everyone that's listening um who, who is who and what is Michael R. Gorman.
2: Ah, oh, jeez. you know that. Can we start with an easier question? I was telling somebody, that the guy who introduced me, um, he said, well, how should I introduce you? I said, you know, the older you get, the harder it is to have a resume. You know, when you're young, you pad your resume with everything you must think of. I now have like four versions of my resume, depending on what I'm doing, because you just keep getting new hats to put on. So um, I am probably my first love is poetry. Uh, I'm a writer mm-hmm. uh, my email ever since I've had an email has been poet Gorman um, and I, I actually had that before I realized that my ancestors considered poetry that like the first art yeah the way the the, the gateway into intellectual and spiritual thought um, so I'm a writer primarily I've got uh, several published books I'm, uh, I've got an author's page on amazon.com um, Kind of late in life, I went back and studied art at City College. So I went from having a BA to an MA to an AA. Um, And so I'm also a sculptor. I found out I was pretty good at it. Um, I'm uh, an ordained Druid. Um, I, oh God, there's so many things. Uh, I'm a gay man, two spirit. Uh, I'm a father. I'm a, a former teacher. Well, I've always been a teacher. Uh, but I used to teach high school and then college although when when my son was little I remember him, him saying to me it's like dad I just asked a question you're teaching again I'm like sorry I can't I can't help myself so I think as far as as the things that have just always been a part of my identity the writing and the teaching I was always even as a little kid I was everybody's big brother that they'd come to to talk to about stuff and uh sometimes that's a blessing and sometimes it's a curse you know when people ask me so when did you decide to be a writer i'm like i don't understand the question i mean you can decide this stuff it's like i just was you know it's who i am
0: well i mean from what you're saying it sounds i had one of those i had a i had a not you but i had a i had a michael gorman you sound like you're somebody you're everybody's favorite teacher the cool teacher that everybody goes to
2: Except the administrators. They didn't like me so much. You know, the thing was, my students learned. But I never did anything in a conventional way. I used the Socratic method. I figured, I'm not teaching them factoids. I'm teaching them how to be learners. So I did a lot of questioning, which um, drove the advanced students nuts because they were used to playing the game. You tell us something, we memorize it, we put it back on a test, we get a good grade. But I was about exploring and finding their own paths and asking questions and challenging. So my classroom was never calm, it was never quiet. Um, I had this one administrator who said I was a bad teacher because the kids liked me so much. I mean, I would have, I would have kids cut for senior day, come back for my creative writing class and then go cut again. Um, but uh, he told everybody everybody's a bad teacher because I had to be because students liked me. And then he observed me once when I applied for a mentor teacher position. And from then on, he told everybody I was a brilliant teacher and never came near my classroom <laughs> again. I just did not understand any of what was going on in there. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I love teaching. I, I started a creative writing class, and it ended up, that's all I could teach all day because so many kids signed up for it. It was like five sections of 40 students apiece in each section. So I was always running around with a million papers under my arm, and... Cursing the math teachers with their little Scantron things, they run through the machine. I'm like, damn it! I spend hours grading papers, and you have a Scantron. <laughs> Hate you all. Yeah, I, I mean, you
0: know, we we laugh at it, but seriously, I'm not that old, I'm not that young either. But I can tell you, a lot of people that I that I talk to, that, uh, my own kids included, they the their favorite teachers, the cool teachers, those are the ones that really do make an impact and really do shape who they end up being later yeah. on in life.
2: Well, I I had a former student of mine. Uh, she was actually my TA when my son was little and probably shouldn't say this on air but sometimes I was pretty much married single father Mm -hmm. but there were times when I took him to school with me and he'd be in my creative writing class which was great for him he was very bright and very language oriented from the get go Um, but this TA would cut all our other classes and take care of my son when he was there with me and so she was kind of special and um, there were some interesting experiences we had as, as teacher student things that that I did that really upset her and then as an adult apologizing for them she said I had a rolling back anyway she contacted me years later and uh, said are you the Michael Gorman who taught English at Tokei High School in Lodi I said yeah. I said this is Kelly I don't know. I'm like Kelly oh my God it's so cool. She said, "Well, I have children of my own now." I was like, "Thanks, I feel old." And she said, "But when you meet them, they're going to be pretty much blown away because you're a legend in our family. You're one of you're part of the folklore that we tell about why adults should apologize to kids and yeah. you know why mommy treats you with more respect than other adults do." So it's seriously when I met her kids, they were all like wide-eyed. It's like, "It's him! It's the guy out of the myths." It was pretty funny.
0: See, let me, let me. I've been through that, so let me ask you that. For you, how does it feel when somebody calls you a legend? Because yeah, on my end, you know, I've been doing radio for like over three decades, and when I go back and visit the radio stations that was at, that's what they say. a you know, legend, and that's. I think I've been doing this too long. It's time for me to retire. I mean, how, how do you, how do you see it when you know calls it's you a legend?
2: I, I've recently gone through um, what the Wiccans would call my my second Saturn returns. Mm-hmm. You know, the the one at thirty was. My coming out, losing my family, getting kicked out of the church, it was a nightmare, horrible transition, but gave me a whole new life that I would not trade for anything. Well, I've gone through a similar thing, entering my elderhood, and when I started going through this transition, if somebody would say something like legend or elder, I'd get really upset, and I'm like, I am not an elder, I'm not an old guy, and then I'd look in the mirror, I'm like, oh, man. But... Um, I'm kind of comfortable with it now, I've finally gotten over that worship of youth thing we have in our culture, and I'm, I'm starting to really enjoy my elderhood. Yeah, you know, It, it opens doorways, I get to say rude things that nobody else would get away with if they were younger, it's like, oh isn't he cute, he's an old guy, um, and, and I've got a lot of wisdom, and it, it took a while to finally go, that's okay, you, you have wisdom. And that's part of the cycle. Yeah, that's it. Enjoy I like that it part. It's and actually nice it.
0: to ha- be able to have the last one. But I still
2: time. have this twinge when somebody calls me a legend. I'm like, not. Aren't I still like the young hunk? No. But you
1: can channel your inner Odin.
2: That's true. That's true. And that's I'm starting to enjoy that a lot, you know. Um,
1: and for so. someone like you, that could be like a great, you know, Person described and,
2: to be. And being a, a Kaliak, I can also, or being a, a two spirit, I can also channel the inner Kaliak. So yeah. if I need to be the kick ass crone, I can do that too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess being gay and being an elder is a pretty cool thing. Yeah. <laughs> pretty cool thing to be. And, and the, I've always loved teaching, and you get a lot of opportunities to teach when you're an elder because people that are on the path of wisdom are seeking smart enough to talk to the elders about stuff and and so and i even enjoy i i used to even when i was younger i used to hang around the crones all the time the elder women because they're at a point in their life where it's like yeah whatever it's like they don't sweat the small stuff they they have a lot of wisdom but they're not imposing on people but when you sit down and talk to them it's like whoa this is amazing and so i'm finding other people that are doing that with me, and I think it's—I think it's kind of cool. I'm the—I'm the—I'm the wise old crone sometimes, and I, I really like that. Um, and so yeah. You have your ravens. Yes, and and I get I, the Raven. Uh, we were talking earlier about Raven, and sometimes I don't want to hear what Raven has to say, but really has been the guardian of the veil in so many ways. Has helped usher me into my elderhood. Well. Drag me kicking and screaming into yes, my Whether, whether elderly, more you want like to go it, or not, absolutely. Which
0: is why I pretty much needed Raven to do that. So, yes. Yeah, so I mean, like I like I said, we you were the first speaker at, at this event here. To, I, I I tried to listen in, but yeah, yeah with all all the stuff going on, we really couldn't. So for those who did miss it, like, let me ask you this first. Now, I, I, speaking of our Raven, I was telling her when I went to school, our mascot was was uh, the, the Celtics, and they always looked at me because I always said Celtic. It's, it's not yeah, tilting. that.
2: Uh, I was in Ireland at um, Newgrange, which is a, a, a temple cairn there that's beautiful, and they have. You have it's it's formalized into a tour, on like a lot of the sites in Ireland, and then you take a little bus to this other collection of cairns a little ways away. We got on the bus, and there's this big American guy in front of me with a baseball cap and some sports team on his shirt. And he's pontificating about his newfound wisdom about all things Celtic. And this little lady kinda of bought into it. She goes, So could you tell me, is it Celtic or is it Celtic? And the guy goes, It's Celtic. And my son looks over at me like, Dad, don't, don't, Dad, don't, don't. don't to She's like, I have to do that. I said Actually, um, it's only Celtic if you're a basketball fan. The rest <laughs> yes. of the time it's Celtic. <laughs> yes. The Greeks spelled it with a K. There actually is no such thing as a soft C in the Gaelic language. The C was the K sound. Yeah. They didn't have a K in their alphabet. And you know, and then I kinda, you know, it comes from Keltoi, which meant the hidden ones. I get this whole little mini lecture behind the guy. And you could see his shoulders just kinda tensing up and I'm like, I don't think he's a very open audience <laughs> to this. <laughs> So, but he, he just kind of harumphed and then stayed silent the rest of the time. The more you know. Yeah, I know, I know. It's like, and my son is just sitting next to me shaking his head. It's like, sorry, Mac, I know I'm a pathological teacher, but I can't help myself.
0: Can't take you anywhere.
2: Yeah, I know, exactly.
0: <laughs> but, which is good, though, because we laugh, but that's that's the problem with that is That's all people seem to know, that number one, it's the Boston Celtics which is not as you just explained right that's all, that's all they their their knowledge of that just stops right there
2: and so, I actually want to go to South Boston to the Irish community and say you guys <laughs> what the heck <laughs> you, know, you, did you just on not even yeah. remember anything <laughs> about your ancestors why are you calling what have him you done? yeah it's like you are the pain of my existence <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so again I mean go go through that don't do the entire speech you did here but, just, but tell okay. our listeners you know what is the um, history of the Celtic
2: in recent years, uh, in my writing, uh, there, there's been kind of a, a turn. I uh, did a lot of journalism in the past. Uh, I've always done poetry, did some short story writing. I was just kind of trying to find my, my focus. And while I still do all sorts of writing, um, my first published book uh, was about uh, a gay activist in San Francisco. This will tie in, I promise. It was a gay activist in San Francisco who was being... Um, forgotten in the history books because sadly traditionally in the gay community the very effeminate gay men there was prejudice against them by other gay men and because professionally he was a drag queen um, he was being sort of left out because people were kind of embarrassed forgetting of course that the entire Stonewall riots were started by a bunch of drag queens you know our, our history is and the things that he did running for political offices, and Open the gay man for the first like ten years before Harvey Milk, and I went to interview him for an article for a, a newspaper I was writing for, and uh, he saw the article, really liked it, and asked if I was writing his biography, and I'm like, yes, and part of it was because his life was so fascinating. Um, he was a storyteller too, so I could tell his story in story form, which is how I tell history, and just that out of defiance. Like, this guy needs his place back in history. Um, The book got published. I won a National Lambda Literary Award for it. Um, Suddenly, no uh, gay history book was written that did not include him anymore. You look up the Wikipedia page. For the longest time, the bibliography was Gorman, 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 Gorman. (laughs) I was the only one who wrote about him. Now there's more people that write about him. There's now a street named after him in San Francisco. He's got a plaque. On I basically was able to give this guy back his place in history while he was still alive. And and it changed something in me. I, I got this passion for telling the stories out of history that have been left out of the history books because of who writes the history books. And so, I, I mean, fiction always makes way more money, but I just, there's so many stories out of history and being a minority in so many ways because uh, I'm a druid, I'm a pagan, I'm a gay man, you know, our stories are very often not told. And when I, so then the, the next big search for me historically was looking into my Celtic ancestors. And when I started reading about the real history, I'm like, oh my God, I mean, I've bought in like everybody else that European history was Greece and Rome and, and then a bunch of barbarians up there. And I started finding out that my ancestors, you know, Invented the smelting of iron they changed the name and invented the safety pin introduced pants to Europe and women wore them from the beginning They uh, they had trading routes that the Roman roads were built over. They taught the Romans how to make the broadsword They were this amazing technological culture that is not even mentioned in our history books and it was like Another story I'd, I had to tell and it was of my own ancestors. I also remember I um, <laughs> A really important moment for me. Uh, you know, I was raised pre-Vatican II, Mass and Latin, bones of the saints, Irish Catholic, in a military, police, patriarchal, competitive, sports crazy family. I went to the school founded by the first American Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton. It was hardcore Catholic, and so I, I was, I grew up feeling a lot of shame about who I was inside, um, and of course I was hidden and closeted. Out of out of fear of my family, um, so I, I went through a lot of struggle uh, as an adult when I finally accepted who I was. Then I started reading about my Celtic ancestors and the Druids. One of their jobs in the they did all the intellectual jobs in the culture. But one of their designated jobs is when you saw duality, like male female, light darkness. You know, our culture, which is rooted in Greece and Rome, sets them against each other, this side versus that side, and you pick the right side and fight the other side. Well, the Druids, they were very holistic and thought in terms of things that went together and weaving. So one of their designated jobs was to stand, intellectually speaking, metaphorically, in the center of any duality, understand both sides, figure out how they go together in the whole, and then teach the people how the dualities go together in the whole. So male-female being, being two sides of one thing, light darkness being two sides of one thing, so one of the nicknames of the druids was the walkers between the worlds. And so in ancient times, if a kid showed signs of being gay, the, the family was excited, like, oh, it's one of the sacred ones, born a walker between the worlds. And so you sent them off to study under the druids. And I'm reading this going, excuse me? What? I'm not only not bad, I'm special, damn it! And nobody told me, and it's in my own heritage. I gotta write this story. So, yeah, there was some enlight- maybe enlightened self-interest in the in the story as well, because the the tribal people around the world, and that includes the Celts and the Nordic people, took their wisdom from nature, and if it existed in nature, it was sacred. End of subject. You figured out how to weave it into the whole of your picture of the world, and that included anybody who was dis- different, whether it was dis- sometimes the what we would call the crazy people, were considered sacred because they had a perspective nobody else had, and so you would listen to them. You know, you maybe had to listen metaphorically sometimes, but you still, you listen to those people. They had their place in the culture. Everything that existed was sacred. And, um, you know, and I had never experienced that in my family, in my culture, in my church, to be, to feel a part of the community. And here was, my heritage that had been stolen from me saying you are as sacred a part of the whole community as anybody else and um yeah so it was it went along with my journey of self-discovery and then to find that those things that were in my heart actually were played out in a very amazing culture that was sustained for several thousand years dominating europe and and yet you go to the Western European history books at the colleges, you open it up, they don't even mention the Celts. The, the Nordic people, they, they mention the Vikings as if that was a people, not a profession. Um, and, uh, and they say a little bit about that, but they've left these two amazing, great cultures that really defined European culture on a deep level more than Greece and Rome ever did. We got this sort of outer structure from Greece and Rome, but the heart of who we are is reflected in these two groups of people. And uh, so I've been I've been telling that story. So I talked about the similarities between the Nordic people and the Celts, and they actually uh, National Geographic did a study of genetics, and they found that the Nordic people and the Celts who foundation of pretty much everybody's gene pool in Europe, um, originated from a single tribe in Siberia, and the the Celts left at one point, traveled down through the steppes, through India, Pakistan, through the Middle East, around the Black Sea, up the Danube River, which is named after the mother goddess Danu, by the way, um, into Europe. The Nordic people just migrated straight across the cold areas up into the um, up into the Nordic countries. So I, te- I tease my Nordic friends that, like, yeah, we went down where it was warm and kind of mellowed out, and you guys stayed where it was cold and kept your attitude problem. <laughs> and most of my <laughs> Nordic friends goes, "Yeah, that's true," <laughs> and we're okay with that. <laughs> so, but you look at it in spite of thousands of years, the foundation because it's in the, in nature. Not only are we cousins genetically, we are cousins philosophically, spiritually and you know, slightly different outer reflections of those things, but we're tribal people, we're egalitarian, we share the wealth, we, I mean, democracy, the, the Celts and the, and the Nordic people were very democratic, not like pseudo-democratic republic like some countries I yeah. know of <laughs> that still fight with that patriarchal structure of Rome and Greece. But so what we know of, of democracy didn't come from any of the mo- monar- monarchies in Europe. It came from the Nordic people, came from the Celts, and it came from the Native Americans, from the tribal people. Dem- democracy is, is almost by definition a tribal frame of mind. And that's why we struggle with it, because we still try to live under the paradigm of Greece and Rome, the patriarchy, hierarchy, sure. money-based, ownership-based hoarding... You know, non-educational. I mean, the Nor- the Celts and the Nordic and the Native Americans all had universal education, universal health care. That was something that we had for thousands of years till Roman Greece wanted to keep everything in the top of the pyramid. And uh, so our culture, a lot of our current struggles politically and socially are about that struggle between the hierarchy, patriarchy, and our heart roots in the tribal people. And I'm putting my money on the tribal people because, literally, the beliefs we have is, as Celts, as Nordic people, as Native Americans, the tribes from Africa, they're rooted in the natural world, so therefore written in our DNA. And England found out when they kept trying to wipe the Celtic ways out of out of Ireland for the 700 years they had them as a colony, they couldn't figure out why it didn't work. It's it because? It's natural, it's, it's genetically programmed, it's part of our ecosystem. And as much as the Greco-Roman system tries to tell us we can live above our own ecosystem, that's just insanity. So you can't wipe it out. And if we, as people of this tribal consciousness, can, first of all, stop apologizing for it, reclaim our place as the heart of, of culture, and start sharing who we are, Maybe people are remembering. Them. You know my, the biggest compliment I get teaching Druid classes in Druidry is when somebody comes up with this kind of look on their face of like wonder and says, "You know Michael, learning about Druidry is not so much learning something new as remembering something I forgot. Yeah. And our biggest problem in this culture is we forgot. we forgot our tie to the trees. the animals to the earth to the air to fire to water and it's not until we remember that that we're going to be able to heal and basically it's us you know in in this Western world us and the Native Americans and you know the, the, the 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 tribal Africans that still remember their roots we're the ones that still have that tie to the ancient wisdom. Readings
0: with Raven Hawthorne
1: All right, so we'll go ahead and do a reading now. This is just going to be more generic one. I'm going to shuffle the cards a few times here. Okay. Perfect. Okay, so we have some pretty decent cards. The first card that I drew is the Two of Cups. And it shows a man and a woman uh, joining hands and actually holding cups. And there's a rainbow circle. what this card really means is good friendship good communication going on in your life maybe it's a romantic partner it could be with your family Uh, just really good communication love harmony and peace flowing Uh, again this is a good thing to have for work as well it shows that things are going really well the second card that i drew is the moon and on this card it shows the moon And it also has two dogs. So there's a wolf and a dog. And they're both howling at the moon. And what this really signifies is is two sides of you. So you have the spiritual side and the physical side. And it wants you to look inward to kind of blend these two things together. It also asks that you awaken that spiritual side a little bit more. Whether you're thinking about doing anything with ghosts whether it's uh, psychic abilities you're trying to open up uh, or just getting in tune with nature. It's really just asking you to kind of find a balance and a blend right now. And the final card that I drew is the Nine of Pentacles. On this card, it shows a woman. Uh, She is looking at over at the garden. There's some roses there and she's by herself and she has a falcon on her hand. So what this is signifying is hard work, uh, things that you've done yourself, so kind of working solo. And now you're kind of just stepping back and you're looking around and and you're reaping the rewards, you're reaping the benefit of all the hard work you've put into uh, whatever you're doing. It also uh, talks about you being in tune with nature as well, so just stopping to smell the roses is a really great phrase for this card. So, again, those are just the three general cards that I have for you today. Uh, that will be it. That's it. That's all I got.
0: That's this week's reading. Follow Raven Hawthorne at Ravens and Ghosts at Ravens underscore and underscore
2: ghosts.
1: What are some ways Should... you think um, people can get back to those roots?
2: Uh, I'm glad you asked. That's a great question. Um, I was, I was doing a radio show through uh, the, the public access radio thing i went through my own version of the irish troubles and had to leave it behind i'll probably get back to it but i called my show the new tribal the new tribal mind and the intent of it was to take the tribal cultural paradigm the nordic the celtic and by extension the african australian um, native american tribes and explore the paradigm, not the way they live, but their cultural foundational beliefs that were not linear, they were cyclical, they were not hierarchical, they were egalitarian. They were not dualistic, but they were holistic. Um, they, they were not misogynist. They, uh, they, they were not homophobic. They, were, they believed in diversity because diversity genetically, biologically is a symbol of health. Um, exploring all that with people, and what ended up happening was something that I didn't expect. I started meeting all these people that are so frustrated with what's going on in our national politics and, in some ways, our state politics. This patriarchal, straight white male dominated thing that is often a distance, doesn't understand our problems, and doesn't respond to the things that we need. Like, we need health care. I need grandma to be able to go to a doctor, you know. We need universal education. We need our children. We need our sons and daughters not to come out of college so in debt it's going to take them half of their working life to pay off their debt from college. We need these things. And you've got these people in the the ivory tower that just don't get it. And I I was a major street activist for years. I mean, taking over bridges, marching down the street, chanting activists. Until I realized that the people I was working with we're just as much into the versus them mentality as the mainstream culture. And it's like, So if we win, what happens? We just change the names of the people who are us and who are them. How is that going to help anything? And so I started exploring the deeper stuff. But anyway, back to the radio show. I do this sometimes. I ramble. <laughs> Squirrel. It's okay. Um, so do we. <laughs> yeah. That's how my brain works. But um, I started meeting all these people that got so frustrated with the power system. Said, you know, they're never going to help us so let's just forget them and do it ourselves things like uh, i remember in my active years for years uh, people in like oak park and south sacramento were saying you know we don't have grocery stores in our neighborhood the the poor people are struggling with transportation already they can't drive to downtown to go to the grocery store so they end up getting their food from the 7-eleven down on the corner we need grocery stores and they were lobbying for years with city council stuff here in sacramento for grocery stores and it never worked because the grocery stores basically said well we can't make enough money with the poor people so we're going to build our grocery stores where there's people with more money um, and basically didn't care that people weren't getting nutrition so there's this group that arose out of that that said okay fine you're not going to grow grow a grocery store we're going to start a non and we're going to start teaching everybody we can find who has a house and a little plot of land in the poorer parts of town and teaching them how to garden and grow their own fruits and vegetables. And then they lobbied for a change in the law so they could exchange what they, you know, if somebody was growing peaches and other people wanted peaches, they could exchange or even sell for a little bit. And for a long time, the grocery stores wouldn't allow that because they didn't want the competition. But they've got it now to where people in the South, they don't need a grocery store anymore because they're doing it themselves. They're literally doing what Gandhi said becoming the chains they wanted to see in the world. There's a group up in Nevada City that was dealing with the fact that all the the aging hippies that moved up into the foothills were amazing people with amazing talents but they were all separated. They were all out in the hills. So they got these computer people to get together, get everybody's names and locations who were willing, what they had, their talents, put them on a database and make it available to everybody and then a couple times a year They have some big event literally a a barn building or creating a a shed for somebody or putting in somebody's garden or some project on somebody's home and they all get together to do the work and they have a, a a work day and then a big potluck dinner and a dance and celebration just like the old you know barn building days so they've created out of this vast diaspora of people they've created a cohesive community because there was nothing in the system that was going to help them do that. So they said, okay, we'll just figure it out. And that's happening all over the place. There's a woman here starting a, an organization called um, Compassionate Sacramento. And its whole purpose started in Nashville, Tennessee, and it's spreading around the country. And the whole purpose is to bring people together to work with city councils to make their decisions more compassionate, to, to make health care more available, to deal with disabilities better, to find ways to be compassionate with the people and it's working just because people got together and said okay we're gonna do it um the dalai lama has has mentioned that he said this is an organization that the world needs you know and we've got it here in sacramento so i started seeing all these people they're saying you know the politicians are among the most successful people in this culture what is their motivation to change stuff not at least from a self point of view they, they're doing just fine. They've got their health care. They've got their education. So the people that are motivated to change are the people that are suffering for the lack of change. And something is happening right now. There is a spark spreading where people are saying, okay, fine, we'll change it. We'll create the world that we want to live in and just leave the leader, these people at the top of the pyramid out of it. You know, And by the time they can figure out what we're doing, we'll have already created it. Yeah. I'm excited about that. It's you know, so it's it's like watching some of the philosophic things I write about and research, like coming to life in front of my eyes. And I'm really, really this event. I mean, we had a we had a pretty amazing active pagan community in Sacramento for years, where we did major events at each of the the seasonal holidays, and then some of the elders got tired, and uh, apparently we didn't do a very good job of teaching some of the younger people that leadership in the pagan community is about service to the people, about bringing people together, about weaving. And for a long time we just split to the four winds. And now I'm watching it that whatever this spark is that's happening, uh, it's stuff like this is happening, that people are saying, we need this. We need community. We need celebration. We need to look at our, our own arts and our talents and celebrate ourselves. And independent of city council and state government and washington people are just doing it and it's it's a beautiful thing and it's happening all over the place i mean we we are creating the world you know we we druids have this when we face a a philosophic or spiritual conundrum one of the things two things we do is like to remind ourselves that we're not binary we're living in a three-dimensional world If there's a struggle between this and that, look for the third. You know, if you can find the third, at least you're compatible with the fact that you're in a three-dimensional world, so there's gonna be more than two sides to everything. And the other thing we do is say, what would the trees say? We consider the trees our first teacher, and not necessarily even just in a mystical way, but they are reflections connected to the entire natural ecosystem. It's our ecosystem, you know. Science itself teaches us that You can't escape it. What works, what happens in the ecosystem, affects us, and vice versa. And so, asking what would the trees say is a way of saying, you know, it's it's our the answers are there. Just look to your own home, your own. The artistry of the god and goddess that created this are written into it, just as much as Van Gogh's heart is in his paintings. So, look to nature, and you will know the mind of the divine. That's how you can find your answers. So I asked about this: How do we heal this culture? It seems such a huge job. I mean, I I don't have any influence in Washington. I I don't have. Well, I have in the past, but I won't brag. Um, but anyway, people look at it as too big a thing. We can't change it. So I was thinking about that one day, and I said, "Okay, clear mind. What would the trees say? Okay, how does healing happen in the natural world? Well, let's see. You take." A medicine or an herb in a right proportion goes into your body, it gets digested, it's broken down to the microscopic level to the point where you can't even see it anymore. And it goes through your bloodstream where to the individual cells. And one cell heals and then another cell heals. The only way that healing happens is cell by cell by cell by cell. There is no macrocosmic healing. The body heals when the cells heal. So literally, the only way to heal the culture, the only way to heal anything, is at the cellular level. And where are the cells of the culture? It's us. We are the cells of the culture. So not only do we have the power to heal, we are the only way that the culture can heal. And it has to happen cell by cell by cell. So things like this, where we come together as a community, I'm going to get all choked up because I'm a sensitive homosexual. Uh, But this kind of thing is, we're getting together and celebrating each other and healing each other and strengthening each other making the cells healthier. This, this is what heals the culture. No big grandiose operations in Washington. No big infrastructure programs. It's us. We're the cells. And the trees nature teaches us. That's the only way things heal. So I look at that and I'm like, whoa, there's hope. Cause like these people are really cool here. And this is a lot of cells that are that are getting it. And this is not the only place that's happening. So we will heal the culture. We will counteract this insanity that's ruining our environment and setting us against each other and and insanely thinking that we can have two sides to everything or that we're all in opposition to each other. That's just wrong doesn't fit the natural world doesn't fit the way things are and this is not a big mystical thing well it is a big mystical thing but it's also scientific it's it's about cells it's about how things work and and we're it there, there's hope.
1: Now bringing we it. We are
2: healing the world.
1: Bringing it back to the the druid part of it. Um, yeah. I find that really fascinating. I've always been fascinated I'm, by I'm druids. I'm sorry. I
2: can't, can't hear the background. The if
1: if someone is interested in druidry or becoming a druid, where do you suggest that they start? Mm-hmm. Um. I
2: want to try this. See if it
1: works.
2: With my book available on Amazon. <laughs> 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 um, product placement. Um, the, problem, the, the problem specifically with Druidry is there was a revival of interest in Druidry. <coughs> While well, most of the manuscripts that told a lot about who the Druids were were still untranslated in the Irish libraries, <coughs> or being translated by the Irish and being ignored by the scholarship. So the initial revival of Druidry was, first of all, it was a good old boys club, like the secret male societies just still a problem for me because, oh, Druidry, that's a guy thing, right? Like, no, if you look at the Irish lore, there's way more female Druids mentioned in the lore than males, and they were all pretty amazing. It's um, so like, no, they, they, they didn't do that binary this side versus that side gender thing. In fact, like most tribal people, there were more than two genders because basically there's not only two of anything. But um, anyway, because of that revival, they kind of took what little they knew about the Celtic world took some of the ancient sites you know, giving credit for things like Stonehenge to the Druids rather than to the Neolithic people that were there before, but a lot of misunderstanding and then they overlaid it with bits of Christianity, bits of Egyptian, bits of from all over the world, and kind of fashioned their own form of Druidry, which is not necessarily a bad thing, But but the actual wisdom and the underlying cultural beliefs of the early Celts and the Druids kind of got lost in the shuffle. And it's only been since people are starting to read those previously hidden manuscripts from the Irish libraries that were translated by the by the Irish revolutionaries, by the way. That was the foundation of the Irish revolution. It was a bunch of books, which makes me happy. Um, so, the upside is there's a lot of misinformation about Druidry. There's everything from People that are really seriously debating the scholarship that we have to what I call the fantasy novel school of druidry. People come to me he's like, "Oh, druids are so cool! I read like this novel, right, and there was like right. this druid, and he had this really cool wand, and he did stuff with it. And I, I want to be a druid." And I'm like, "Oh, please go away! Please go away!" I mean, that can be a doorway into druidry, like like anything. But so it it's hard to find um, to find. Uh, Reliable information you, you kind of have to have it's kind of like you have to have a foundation To find the reliable stuff, but you have to find the reliable stuff to find a foundation um, There's not a lot of active Druid training here in Sacramento. I have a, a non-profit called the Sacramento Grove of the Oak uh, And I teach Druidry okay. through that non-profit um, our website is not really good right now there's a guy that's rebuilding it for us but if people search uh, Michael R. Gorman on Facebook um, online they, they can find me and uh, I'd be more than happy to answer anybody's questions, talk to them about and then um, the other thing that I can provide for people is I have a, a bibliography of reliable scholars on the Celtic stuff uh, people like Peter Beresford Ellis and Peter Wells and uh, some of the Druids out of Obad in England. There are also, if people want to, there's there's a correspondence class in Druidry through the Order of Bards, Ovates and Druids out of England uh, who are the ones that I started my formal training with. Uh, so you can, it, it costs, but you can get the, the training through them. And uh, the guy who wrote it, Philip Cargom, is my teacher and he's, he's really, really dependable. Their, I think their website is druidry.org, and most of the stuff you read on their website is pretty reliable. So, uh, for a start, I would say those two places, Grove of the Oak, Obad, for for people here locally, to find your foundation, and then you can start searching out from there. And I'd be willing to provide that bio, that bibliography, to anybody who's who's interested. So they know if they want to start with books, I can give them some some. Reliable scholars to to read.
0: Yeah, so I was gonna say, see, or just
2: see, buy me coffee and I'll talk forever <laughs> about it. And
0: that works for us. That's that's <laughs> why we're we're sitting here. But again, we could go on. We're almost an hour here. We could go on all day. This is what you guys missed. Um, are you gonna be at any other events like this where people can see you and hear you?
2: Um, I don't have anything scheduled. I was I was gonna speak at PantheaCon, which is a big West Coast, well now international pagan conference, but I missed the deadline it's because of. Um, because of my Saturn returns, uh, so I'm not going to be speaking there this year, but probably next year. But we are starting to reinstitute through the Grove celebrations at each of the Celtic festivals. So, although that our festival celebrations are not all educational, like I said, I'm a pathological teacher, so I end up teaching wherever I go. Uh, so, as as far as a formal sense, of that uh, the classes through the Grove and i i will be if people want to connect with me on facebook and then when we get our when we get our website working well um, we'll announce that and i announce events that happen if i'm if i do get more teaching things coming up which i do periodically uh, then i'll announce those so people can come and listen to what i have to say so
0: yeah, and, and like always, I'll make it easy for all of you listening. I'll put everything on the show description, the Facebook page, everything will be on there. You guys, and when the new one, the new website goes up, it'll be there also. Awesome, So Thank you can you. find everything. Appreciate also, I'll, I'll
2: get it. Uh, when we're oh, and yet. you can, if you search me as Michael R. Gorman on Amazon.com, you, yeah. can, you can find my books.
0: I was about to say, I'll get the Amazon link from you and put it in there also. Cool. So, Michael,
2: thank you so much for attending. Oh, ten this is great. I, whenever we do something like this, I feel like, I just scratched the surface. There's, <laughs> it's a problem with being a researcher and a scholar, and the older you get, it's like, there's so much stuff in your brain. And friends of mine now say, Michael, you can't give it all in one lecture. you got to focus a little. So, yeah, I could talk on forever.
0: That just means you're just going to have to come back.
2: <laughs> okay. i I'll gladly.
0: And really, with all that knowledge, we could even start the Michael R. Gorman series on paranormal perception.
2: I would be totally cool. I totally cool with that. I, you know, give me coffee. I'll just talk. When I first went to Ireland, my family—we were raised very Irish. When I found out other people didn't sit around the dinner table telling stories, I was horrified. It was like, how do you talk if you don't tell <laughs> stories? <laughs> and I got to Ireland, and I'm like, oh my oh, my goodness, it's an entire country of people like me. They all talk forever. They all <laughs> communicate in story form. It's like, I love this place. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, so so we'll definitely stay in touch. And uh, Definitely. I'm, for definitely. all of you guys, I'm pretty sure you're going to hear one, one, many times on Paranormal Perception. Cool. So, Mark Lee, and thanks a lot for taking the well, time thank you, time you guys.
2: This. Thanks, this was you. This, thank this you. This was fun. Good show.
0: Follow Paranormal Perception on Twitter at Parapercept Show and on Instagram at Paranormal Perception and watch our videos on Vimeo.com slash Paranormal Perception Paranormal Perception Paranormal Perception was conjured by the audio wizards at 22 Creations Multimedia LLC